Alex, welcome to Millennial Manhood. How you doing? Oh, thank you, Yavasa, for having me on today. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you could come on. I think this will be a really interesting conversation. So, uh, just a brief intro. Uh, we've got Alex Fleiss on today. He is the CEO of Rebellion Research. He's uh, spoken on the topic of artificial intelligence to uh, several different publications and from the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Fox News, Business Week, Bloomberg, MIT. Uh, technology review, etc. So uh, give us a 10,000 foot view of who Alex is and, and what you're passionate about and what you're what you're really here to talk to us about today. Yeah, my primary purpose in life is to learn. In addition to being CEO of rebellionresearch.com, the AI robo-advisor, I also teach an AI and financial markets course at uh, Cornell University, which uh, is really just a lot of fun for me. Teaching is absolutely my passion. Um, in fact, I also run an intern program with uh, as many as uh, thirty interns in a summer. So, uh, you know, it's you know, learning is my primary passion, and teaching is my primary passion. But um, you know, my business is obviously very important to me as well. Um, you know, what we've built is uh, one of the first deep learning systems that uh, really ever came about in commercial usage. Deep learning is um, a really exciting um, branch of machine learning that uh, was used by IBM's uh, Watson department to create a, um, a system that you know, became the top uh, Jeopardy champion of all time. And now it's being used by IBM for a number of roles. But uh, we actually first started building our deep learning back in 2006. Um, you know, the story begins with my partner, Spencer Greenberg, who was working for the uh, NSA and the CIA. Uh, in fact, our machine learning uh, originates from terrorist hunting. We built a smart document search technology that would seek to identify unknown terrorist subjects uh, for our government. And so our technology would read through uh, millions of pages in Arabic and look for simple clues like terrorist subject A and terrorist subject B living in the same apartment complex as unknown XY. And the same unknown XY uh, plays in a soccer league with terrorist subject C and, ter and terrorist subject D. And so all of a sudden, uh, this unknown, unknown subject becomes a known unknown. And so that's how our machine learning actually got originated uh, for uh, the government. Um, and in about 2005, 2006, um, you know, I said to my partner, Spencer, I said, you know, we really need to uh, take this machine learning and you know, make it work on the economy. Um, you know, I, I know that predicting the economy and doing smart document search sounds like very different stuff. But in fact, it's, it's really not that different at all, actually. Um, you know, the heart of what we do is pattern seekers. Uh, Yavitsa, have you seen the movie um, about uh, the you know cracking the Enigma machine uh, and Alan Turing? Um, yeah, with the with the guy who plays. Um, yes, oh my gosh. Benedict Cumberbatch. Ben Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, yes, I, I believe it's called the Imitation yeah. Game. Yeah. yeah, really good movie. Oh yeah, yeah, great movie. Actually, it's produced by a friend of mine, uh, Teddy Schwartzman. Uh, we started a firm, Black Bear Pictures. They also produced uh, Gold with Matthew McConaughey and uh, Broken City, 
Uh, and actually, all is lost. Robert Redford, another good movie. But uh, yeah, Teddy's a dear old friend of mine and Hollywood producer. But um, the Imitation Game, you know, really hit home for me because you know uh, Turing is um, you know really an inspiration for us. Um, so uh, you know, it's uh, it, you know the movie really highlights what we do from a, a simplistic standpoint. We really are just pattern seekers. We are looking to find patterns between the economy and the stock market, uh, as simple as that. And so what we built really is a, you know, we know of radar systems for aviation tracking, uh, you know, flight paths uh, for airports. What we built is similar to that in that it's a radar system, except it's for the economy. And what it's looking for is, uh, you know, significant changes, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a change in the slope that uh, is abnormal. And the idea being that our technology keeps the investments in the strongest pockets of the economy and avoids the weakest uh, pockets. And for, for instance, the Greek debt crisis was one of the first uh, economic calls that put our firm on the map. Um, and in fact, there were it was very simple data that triggered our machine learning to uh, you know, have a red flag on the Greek market. Uh, you know, the entire continent of Europe in the summer of 2009 was growing. More retail sales, more industrial output, consumers were spending. However, that was not the case for Greece. RAI saw negative industrial output, a drop in retail sales, and that was you know, quite the anomaly. So our AI flagged Greece, uh, you know, as an F, actually as the, the worst ranked country on a real, you know, uh, out of all 53 countries. We manage, or not manage, but we, we cover uh, 53 countries on a daily basis. So our AI system manages data from 53 countries uh, every day. It takes about seven hours to run our system, by the way. So, Interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, when we first built this, actually, it took as long as two weeks to run our system uh, because of all the data that had to be downloaded and processed. But um, over the few, last few years, we've been able to make it shorter and shorter. Um, and so now we can uh, you know, run it uh, within a 24 hour period. Which... It's really interesting. So what you said earlier about it's not that different to look for terrorists versus, you know, in economic indicators. Again, it goes back to patterns and it goes back to, you know, having a machine and an algorithm strong enough to identify those patterns. And yeah, obviously, you gave the example. So, some of these patterns are very apparent, uh, Yamato. And if you had a big screen in front of you, and you were looking at you know the fifty-three countries that we monitor um, on a real-time basis, and then all of a sudden you started seeing certain data that was you know out of the last twenty years uh, of ordinary, um, it would it would be pretty apparent to you uh, at the same time. Sometimes it's not as apparent. But quite often, the data is very apparent, um, and the best uh, value that machine learning has almost is its ability to cover uh, so much of the world and be dispassionate. Uh, you know, when it sees a drop in retail sales, and a drop in the industrial output, it, it doesn't take time to, to, to wonder about it. It just reacts. It just, it just recomputes, if you will. So that's something interesting that I want to cover particularly regarding the audience of this podcast. So the world is changing. AI is becoming more and more uh, relevant just in the day-to-day lives of, of 
humans, even something as, you know, relatively simple as, you know, Siri on your iPhone uh, or Alexa or whatever to self-driving cars. You know, there are several, I've got several friends and clients in the logistics world and they're constantly talking about self-driving trucks in, in, the, in the realm of logistics to, and I know a topic you've talked a lot about um, on a technological front, this 5G rollout. So uh, I do want to, I do want to get to that contextually. So, so talk to me about that. So what, what does the 5G rollout mean? What is, how's that going to impact our lives in the in the Western world, in particular in America? You know, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, Yavitsa, in 2001 and 2002, um, I went to the National Math Championships in 2001, and I've always been a very um, you know, interested mathematician. But when I first started coming across machine learning in 2001, 2002, I was convinced that was the career I had to have. I, I had to work with this technology. But what 5G allows for this society is really breathtaking. I don't think um, we've ever been at a point in time where things are about to change as much as they are. And I don't think most people in society really um, you know, a- a- apprehend how crazy, pardon my use of the you know, simplistic word crazy, for lack of a better term, things are about to get. See, you know, 5G is going to enable so much to come about. Um, you know, let's back it up to 4G. Um, you know, before 4G, the idea of Uber, for instance, was not even an idea. If it was an idea, someone would have invented it and made $100 billion. But without 4G, the technology wasn't there for apps on a phone. And so the ability for Uber and the technology for Uber wasn't there. And so when 5G comes about, there are going to be so many new services and companies created because of this technology that we can't even imagine. On top of which, yes, flying cars, automated trucks, automated everything, that is what 5G is going to really bring about. Um, in fact, the head of NYU's wireless department, uh, and I had a phone call about a month ago, um, I went on uh, Russian television to discuss the 5G rollout, and I wanted to pick uh, the professor's brain and you know, really say, you know, if you had to reach out there into the future and pick uh, the most you know, aggressive um, you know, idea that's going to come about, what would it be? And he said, without a doubt, Alex, it's going to be flying cars. When you look at the technology of drones and what 5G enables, you can have very safe 8 to 12 to 25 propeller drones on a 5G network that can be controlled within an inch or two. And they won't fly too far off the ground. They won't go too fast, but they will be efficient. And they will be on a, uh, a larger network of drones. And essentially, the, the world of the Jetsons, where we saw people jump in a little you know, mobile with a, a little top, uh, that's, that's going to come about. We're actually going to see that. Um, it, it sounds ridiculous. The part where houses are going to go above the clouds, um, there's no need for that. We're not... You know, the Jetsons, the idea with that was that there was pollution was so bad, they had to live above the clouds. But um, you know, today's world, pollution is not nearly as bad as people thought it would be. But uh, you know, in five to ten years, there, are, there should be 
I expect many, many, many flying cars around society. Um, by the end of next year, we're going to be seeing tons of automated cars. And it's really all about um, the regulations. Now, California has no problem with uh, an automated car, whereas you know, Berlin is still not quite there yet. Um, mm-hmm. So depending on the government, um, we're going to be there. Um, you know, the data is there. It's just um, you know, the need for the 5G rollout is going to just transform the safety aspect. So do you remember the crash in Florida maybe a year and a half ago? It was a, a well-to-do tech executive who was watching his Harry Potter during um, a, a drive in his Tesla. Yeah. And um, the the system, you know, uh, it, it hit a tractor trailer because the motion detector of the Tesla uh, only saw the space underneath the tractor trailer, not the tractor trailer itself. Mm, so the yeah. Tesla did not register that there was a physical um, impediment. Um, you know, with a 5G network, your system is going to know about that tractor trailer five minutes before you get to the intersection. Mm. And so the, the system running your car is going to know where that f- tractor trailer is, you know, is to an inch, inch and a half. That's how precise 5G will allow us. We're talking, you know, an inch of, uh, you know, GPS abilities for automated cars, uh, which is also why flying cars should, you know, should definitely come about in the next few years. If you can control a drone to a scale of inches, and you can put you know twenty little you know rotors on that drone. Even if one or two or three engines fail, that drone should work. And you know uh, if you're going to build a twenty you know propeller drone, you're probably building it with the idea that as many as five or six of the propellers can go out without uh, a loss of uh, propulsion. So what's really interesting to me and what you're discussing there. Is and I, and I want to take this back to so my wife and I were in Amsterdam in, in June of last year, and um, you were talking about different governments, and I noticed every taxi almost uh, was a Tesla. So eventually, I asked one of our Uber drivers. I said, "What's the deal with all the Tesla taxis? What's going on there?" And basically, within the Netherlands, they've got a program where they're in- incentivizing taxi companies and Ubers and all this stuff to to go to electric cars. Um, of some sort, which Tesla just seems to be dominating the market there. And, and what you're describing now, and, and that's got me thinking, like there are marketplaces in the world, such as Amsterdam, where if you move to that 5G network, they already have an infrastructure in place that's far and beyond anything we can imagine in a lot of cities here in the States. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you realize the whole space race was funded by the U.S. government. People forget about that. All of the innovation to get to the moon, you know, rockets, that was all in the 50s and 60s funded by the U.S. government. Um, so government can really help make the future come along quicker and more efficiently. Um, and so, yeah, you, you get a country like Amsterdam that does embrace it. At the same time, you also will get a country like Germany that is, I don't want to say afraid of automated driving, but... They're certainly not embracing it yet. Uh, well, the Germans, the Germans are just skeptical people. So I lived there for seven years. They won't even allow you to have Google Street View on Google Maps. They're just very skeptical and private individuals across the board as a country. Oh, really? I did not know that. But, um, yeah, if, if you click Google Street View in Germany, it, w- it won't let you watch it. Like you can't actually go down the street there. Um, wow, I did not know that. You learn something yeah. new every day. Wow. 
Yeah, it's it's very very interesting. They're just culturally uh, very private, very reserved, very which you know, looking at their history for good reason. Um, but I, I want to take one step back, and I want you to dive deeper into what five G is, and and I want you to really you know describe it the way you describe it to like a five year old or maybe a golden retriever. Let's go to the very very basics because when most people think what this five G network is going to be, it's just like oh, faster internet, whoop de do. Yes. Okay. Let's, it, let's let's start at yeah. the very beginning. It's the wavelengths are going to be shorter. And so these wavelengths that carry data on them are easier to process by machines. So if the waves are shorter and smaller, your machine can process it faster and quicker. At the same time, for instance, if you need less space in your machine to take in the data, your machine can have a much bigger space for a battery. So little little things actually will change significantly. As 5G you know, comes about, phones, for instance, are going to have a lot more space. And battery life is going to go up a ton, Yavitsa, like uh, a ton, because it, it, it's going to allow for space for the hardware companies to put a much bigger battery inside. Hmm. And so, you know... Um, you know, so you can download a movie in seconds versus minutes because with these shorter wavelengths, you can put many more pieces of information on the actual wave. Uh, so, so the phone is taking in more waves in less amount of time, and each of these waves have more bits of information on them. And so, so it's you know, all about efficiency, basically. It's, it's, all about efficiency. It is all about efficiency, without a doubt. Yes, and you know, you know, think about if you know, think about it from a surfing standpoint. The, you need a ten-foot wave to get a really good ride on a surfboard. But what if you could get a really good ride on a surfboard with a one-foot wave that had the same strength as a ten-foot wave? Hmm. That doesn't seem to make sense, but that's essentially what five G is versus four G, where we're going to have smaller waves with much more power and much more inside of them. So the power is about a hundred times. Um, so it's about, uh, and when I say the power, I mean the amount of data that can be transferred per wavelength is about a hundred times larger. And so think of each wave as a boat, if you will. And how, how many goods can we put in this, in this wave or this boat to carry across on the network. Um, on a 5G network, uh, these waves can carry 10 times the cargo that a 4G wave can carry. So think about how much more efficient everything is. Because everything is uh, on 5G, everything will become a hundredth uh, more simple on average to transfer. Um, and so that's why. Um, with a hundred times the ability for information, um, autonomous you know driving will be able to track every you know moving um, instrument, and, 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 and also with five G they can start tracking the movements of people without even phones on them to begin with. Um, you're talking you're explain that. Yes, yes. So um, there are going to be satellites. Um, that you know, if you have enough satellites uh, aimed at an 
urban area, you can create an overall software program that uses the satellites to monitor the movements of all objects in that uh, area. On a five, sorry, on a four G network, you're going to have a very delayed, um, and you're going to miss a lot of stuff and. It's really going to also be very delayed. But on a 5G network, um, the NYPD in time is going to be able to see how many people are walking across the Brooklyn Bridge at any time, whenever they want to, um, you know, with, with a simple ping, if you will. Um, so do you, do you ever watch The Hunt for the Red October or Crimson Tide? Uh, or do you have any background with submarines? Uh, not really. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. A, a ping is a uh, frequency that um, a submarine will send off to see everything that's around it. It sends all these sound waves around the submarine uh, many miles around to see what objects it hits. With a 5G network, um, you can create constant pings in an urban environment to have real-time analysis of every moving creature, even down to the rats and pigeons. Um, you know, uh, it was funny. The, the NYU professor is telling me that you know we, we could literally it – it'll be very easy. You have to realize that this isn't complicated stuff. Um, you know, we already have the satellites up there. And, you know, tracking the urban environments is not very far away. Um, it, you know – Safety, uh, crime is going to, to fall significantly with 5G. I think that's going to be a huge, um, a huge uh, situation. But you have to realize that there's going to be, you know, markets that never existed before. Uh, think about, you know, autonomous dog walkers, you know, 120 million dog owners in this country. Most of them can't afford a dog walker. But if you have an autonomous dog walker, then all of a sudden – the cost is going to be a fraction of a human dog walker, and there's an entire market that's opened up. Um, and so people won't worry about job loss. And I like to point to uh, a piece of historical literature, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl. Um, if you remember, Charlie Banks's father works for a toothpaste factory and, you know, gets replaced by a, uh, an automated toothpaste machine. But he eventually comes back um, to fix the toothpaste machine. And so he comes back with skills to make more money to work with the automated infrastructure. And so that's the situation when it comes to job loss. Uh, people are going to have to get retrained and they're going to come back and they're going to get higher paying jobs and so I think this is going to be a huge, huge boost to the economy. I think 5G is going to propel the U.S. economy uh, in a very impressive way. Well, and I think that's an important point that you just made. If we look at it historically, so people are always worried about automation. How does that impact the economy? But when we look at it historically, so I'll just use another example. You know, we used to have horses. That's how we got around. And now we've got cars. And Henry Ford actually uh, very famously said, if, if I gave people what they wanted, then I would have given them a faster horse. And um, when you had a horse, you had a blacksmith that made horseshoes for you. Okay. And that was a very common profession. Being a Smith was a very common profession. Hence why the number one last name in the United States of America is Smith. That means your ancestor was a blacksmith. 
Smiths still exist, but they're not really a common profession. You know what we have now? We have auto mechanics. We have car salesmen. We have, you know, a million different professions that replaced um, that dying profession from that standpoint. So I don't know what that looks like in the future, but there has to be some sort of adjustment and evolution as it moves forward because there is an entire generation. The generation of young people that exist right now, they're the most educated and they're the most in debt and they, they, they've got a lot of skill sets. They're also living in a time where technology is evolving at a faster pace than any time in history. So there has to be some sort of evolution in the marketplace of ideas in the marketplace well, of work. You need, so let's talk about evolution. How about education evolution? Do we need four-year colleges anymore? I mean, I have a degree from Amherst. Amherst College is one of the more old-school, traditional uh, colleges out there. But did I need those four years to build my AI? No. And the fact is, people can be trained in cheaper and more efficient and quicker manners than traditional education. And so education needs to evolve significantly. Um, and when I say that, you know, the, the 1.3 million cab drivers who will get automated out by automated cabs, they don't need to spend two years, one year in school. Some of them can take a three-week training program to learn basic programs. Some of them can take, a, you know, a six-week training program to, to be a nurse. But the point is, these training programs don't need to be two- to three-year colleges. And when these programs are complete, these workers are going to get paid more money and in fact, their working conditions will be better. Uh, you know, as you make more money in you know the working world, on average, your working conditions improve. Uh, you know, people who drive you know cabs can be robbed, like car accidents, long hours. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's not a it's not a fun profession. Um, so as these workers get uh, you know retrained for other jobs, there uh, not only will their profit go up, but their uh, their lifestyle will improve, um, and that's something else. Uh, everyone's lifestyle is going to significantly improve with innovation, and that's what's happened the last two hundred years. As America has continually innovated, the lifestyle of our poor citizens has improved and improved drastically to the point where even our, our, some of our lowest classes live better than Roman senators from 2,000 years ago. So you know, as 5G is introduced and automation comes, uh, you're going to see better salaries for the lowest ranks of uh, the working class. And so you know, people worry, you know, we have a falling uh, birth rate. Um, and, you know, that is an issue. I'm more worried about the birth rate falling than I am about uh, automation. I, I'm not worried about automation job loss. I think actually it would be a huge boom. And McKinsey, which is probably considered the most impressive consulting firm on Wall Street, forecast between three and eight million new jobs from AI and automation. Because you're just going to have so many new services and markets created that we can't even comprehend at this point. So that's that's really how I feel. I'm, I'm more worried about the birth rate. Well, and, and you know we can look at different countries in Europe, and I agree with you on the birth rate issue. Um, it's it's a massive one, but that's a whole podcast in itself. I, I want to go back to itself. Yeah. Yes, that, that's that, I want to go just sociological. Yeah, I want to go back to what you said about education and and changes in that. So I 
let me answer a question that you said. Do, do we need a four-year program? Probably not. Um, I would lean towards that. I think the bigger issue is that it's a requirement in society at this point, and there's way too much money involved to uh, mitigate that four-year program at this point. Uh, I agree. There's a lot of societal investment and just across the board, just, you know, so much money has been invested in this four-year college program that we have. But, you know, well, it just well, it seems like it hasn't evolved, and it feels like everything else in society evolves. But why hasn't our college, you know, experience evolved? I, well, I think the biggest issue in the college experience is that you're still taught how to pass a test instead of taught how to think. Yeah, and, so, and yeah. just. Um, so what what do you see if you were, you know, in your twenties, thirties, um, and you're you know working. Maybe you're working as an accountant. Maybe you're working as, uh, you know, in business development for a computer company or, or whatever. What are some of the things that you would do to prepare yourself for a lot of these changes coming in from a technological standpoint? Uh, first off, is I would learn how to uh, code in Python. You know, basic Python programming takes three weeks to learn, and then from there you'll start getting better and better and better. But it. Uh, What's Python? Yeah. Explain that. Python is a programming language that is um, far and away the best for building AI, machine learning. Re- really, it's great with statistics. Um, and um, you know, C++ was the preferred language maybe 15 years ago. But at this point, you need to know Python. Um, and so I recommend that uh, you know, without a doubt. And I, I would also... Keep your ears and eyes open with this 5G rollout because there are going to be ideas, simple ideas that people are going to have that are going to be worth billions of dollars. And, you know, these ideas are, are, are hard to think of. But, you know, as they come to you, you know, I, I would jump on them. I think this is going to be the, you know, we're in the age of the entrepreneur. I think we're going to really be in the age of the entrepreneur. In, in the 5G world, Creating and inventing things on your own will become even easier. And so, um, you know, I really I say keep your eyes and your ears open and your creativity humming because, um, you know, this is the land of the entrepreneur. And, you know, um, there are just going, there, you know, 5G is going to need many new companies, many, many new $100 billion Airbnbs and Ubers, companies that couldn't have existed on a 4G network. And you know, I don't know what these companies will be. The way I do not know that Airbnb will be Airbnb, uh, you know, because I just that wasn't my idea. Such a simple idea, such an obvious idea, but I didn't have it. So what? You know, we've talked about the flying cars. We've talked about all the the more futuristic aspects of it. But when five G comes around, just day to day, what's the first thing we're going to notice? Faster internet internet on our phones and anything else that, that we're just going to immediately notice? Yes, lots of uh, self-driving cars. Uh, that's the, the no, self-driving cars. Um, I mean, you know, kids will notice that they can download uh, you know, their favorite movie in five seconds. Uh, that'll be a big change. Uh, but all of a sudden, uh, you know, self-driving cars is just going to be everywhere. Um, it's just, yeah, no, that's two, yeah. Oh, 2020 and 2021 are going to be the years of the self-driving car. Um, so, 
that's just that's that's gonna be huge. Um, but and, and then it's gonna go from there to robotic waitresses at cafes, um, you know, robotic dog walkers. It's gonna be the age of the robot will be uh, propelled by five G. Five G is gonna allow a lot of basic robotics that's been around for many years um, to become more usable. Uh, you know. It's not the technology of the robotics that's been stopping us from having these robotic waitresses. It's the ability of the network to manage these robots. And so with 5G, all of a sudden, the global network gets 100 times uh, supercharged. So all of a sudden, the global management network is going to have 100 times the ability. And so let's see how, you know, uh, how we make use of that. Um, we're going to make use of that. And it's going to happen in lots and lots of ways. And so my idea uh, that it'll be seen through self-driving cars is just one of many uh, ways. And if I had ideas on how 5G could be used, I would start those companies. Um, figuring out how 5G can be very, very useful, um, are, that's the job of the entrepreneurs of uh, tomorrow, uh, you know, to create the next Ubers. Um, so you know, what... You know, you're obviously a very big fan of the 5G potential, um, and I do think it's something very exciting. But what are you most worried about with this very large change happening in our society in the next couple of years? I'd say what I'm most worried about is a potential lapse between the re-education of society and the automation of corp the automation of corporations. Um, you know, uh, so far there hasn't been uh, a lapse. And in fact, there's a huge amount of job openings. And so um, right now society is more than educated. Um, and so if unfortunately society doesn't keep up with the pace of automation and innovation, uh, you know, we, we can have some, some issues. Uh, it hasn't been a problem so far. Um, and, and the problem will be remedied eventually. Uh, people will re-educate themselves and um, the economy will come back to equilibrium eventually. But there could be some short-term hiccups, yes, um, you know, if we automate too quickly. Yeah, it's, it's the invisible hand will take care of it eventually. The question is how quickly is the invisible hand moving? Yes, I agree with you. And sometimes the invisible hand, uh, you know, quick movement can make uh, the market feel a little loose. Yeah. Well, I know uh, this was fascinating. I haven't really talked to anybody about this topic yet, and it's it's super, super interesting, and, and I love the expertise you brought to the table. Uh, we're running up on time, so we're going to have to, unfortunately, cut it short. But My pleasure to be on today. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, uh, again, it was my pleasure. But you know, we always at, end the podcast with uh, the same question. If you could go back to 18-year-old you, knowing all that you know and knowing all that you know about yourself, what's one piece of advice you would you would tell yourself at 18? Uh, it's, it's a really fantastic question. Um, I think if I could go back and tell my 18-year-old self anything, uh, it would be to uh, not go to college and to go directly into AI from high school. Um, I think that uh, you know college was a lot of fun for four years, but I'm not sure it was necessary. I feel I had the mathematical tools um, to go out on my own when I was 18. Uh, but, you know, due to the insecurity of my family and friends and society, I felt the need to go to college. I think that's an important lesson. Um, we've lost in our society the expert 
at a trade of some sort, which you could say AI and, and working in that world is a form of a trade. Um, th- there's college isn't for everybody and it shouldn't be for everybody. Oh yeah. No, without a doubt. I mean, I'm an AI guy. I teach AI, I live AI. And there was not one class of AI at my school at Amherst, um, which was very hard to get into, took a lot of time and effort. And it was very expensive when I was there. And, um, I learned nothing on what I spend my day to day, uh, time doing. So you know, I have to ask myself, was it worth it? Was it necessary? Was it a good decision? You know, but, uh, you know, all's well that ends well. And so far things are going very well. So, uh, knock on wood. Awesome. Well, at, at the end of the podcast, I always give everybody an opportunity to plug whatever they're plugging. So where can people oh, read about your that. research, uh, websites, well, yeah. YouTube, I, podcast, go for it. Well, well first, you know, uh, if, please go to rebellionresearch.com and uh, join our uh, long list of clients in 38 countries. Uh, we're actually available now in 73 countries, uh, so quite international. Uh, in fact, we uh, did our first TV ad with a weather channel um, uh, host. So, um, you know, we're, you know, we're really trying to get out there. Okay. Awesome. For everybody listening, we'll uh, obviously put this out on the Millennial Manhood feed. If you've got questions, concerns, uh, people you want us to interview, you got constructive criticism. Keyword is constructive. Don't just complain. You got to offer a solution. Millennial Manhood CIP at gmail.com. Again, that's Millennial Manhood CIP at gmail.com. And uh, again, Alex, thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to everybody soon. Awesome. Thank you.